Our text comes this morning from Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. If you would turn there in your copy of the scripture, uh, we will exposit this text in a moment. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. I want to read these verses in your hearing. Set them in your mind as I customarily do. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. We ought to all say amen to that. Amen. That's good news, isn't it? The best news that any human being can ever have is that the Lord will not take our sin into account. The message this morning is entitled, The Blessing of Justification. Now, sin, as we all personally know, is a real and present reality in our life. We fight it. We confess it, we repent of it, and we even hate it. We will continue to deal with sin and its expression in our life as long as natural life remains. That's the bad news. We need some good news, don't we? The, the good news is that our iniquities and our transgressions cannot undo our justification. There is no point in our Christian life at which God will issue a recall. He will not ever say, you no longer have a righteous standing before me. There is no point ever that we are in jeopardy of losing our justification. In his eyes, we are righteous and that is forever. That's good news, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, as you know, as we were here Sunday before last, his theme is in Romans 3, 20 through verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, is that justification is by faith alone, not by works. He uses predominantly in this passage of scripture that we're in, chapter 4, Abraham to teach this great truth about the gospel and about salvation. But he also, in this passage, as I just read, as you can obviously see, he turns in verses 6 and 8 to David. David is a person who was justified by faith alone. But also, now this is, you need to get this, and put a pen in this in your mind and underline it in your notes in your Bible. But also that a justified person is one whose sins will not be put to his account. It's good news. Remember Psalm 130. I read it earlier in this service and it says, Oh Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who can stand? Well, if God should record iniquities, if he should take them into account, who can stand? Who can stand at the judgment? The answer, obviously, is no one. Justification by faith alone includes the forgiveness of sins. 
And that's what David understood. That's what David personally knew. And that's what we understand. That's what is talked about here in verse 6. He knew justification in relation to sin and its forgiveness. Let me just back up. Somebody might not know. What is justification? Um, justification is the term applied to us that we have been declared righteous in God's eyes. That's good. God has declared us righteous in his eyes. He has justified us. He has declared us so. He did does that because he imputed the righteousness of Christ to the individual who's believed on Christ. And that then that individual in God's view is righteous. David knew this. You see the, ver- the word in verse 6. It says, just as also David also speaks up, here's the word blessing. Blessing. The term blessing means a declaration of blessedness. The declaration is by God. He pronounces that one to whom he credits righteousness apart from works is in a state of our condition of blessedness. If you are a Christian this morning, if you've trusted Christ, if you have been genuinely born again, you are in a state of blessedness. You, that is your condition. God has credited or um, reckoned or counted to your account righteousness. You are in a state of blessedness. And it's without works. Without works. David, nor any other person, performed a work to enter this condition of blessedness, to obtain the righteousness from God. You think about this. God does something remarkable. He does something um, that's really, thinking about it, mind-blowing. In verse 5, we saw this last time. It's worth repeating. Again, verse 5 of Romans 4 says, But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Think about this. All of us were in that category. We're ungodly. And God justified us. And now we're in the condition of blessedness. Now, get this point. David's condition of blessedness was not changed by his sin. Did you get that? Your blessedness as a Christian, as a justified person, will not be changed by your sin. Forgiveness granted. That's our first point. And we see it here in verse 7. The A portion, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Now, you need to understand this is a quotation from a psalm, Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verse 1. And the reason for the psalm that was penned by David was his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, He committed that sin as a justified man, as a believer in Yahweh. He was a, we could put it like he was a man who was saved. And I need to let you know that when David penned that psalm, it was after he had confessed his sin. You know what he did? He tried to hide it. He tried to cover it up. He, he didn't want to acknowledge it, but he couldn't deal with the chastening. And eventually he confessed his sin and God directed him to write that psalm. And David had sinned, shall we say, big time. 
I mean, there was no little picadillo. It was nothing little small. It wasn't some little, little thing. It was a big, big time sin. This is what David did in his sin. He had violated the sixth commandment. That is adultery. He violated the seventh commandment. Murder. He murdered Bathsheba's husband Uriah. He violated the tenth commandment. You shall not covet. When David went out and looked at her bathing, he just didn't see a form. He began to covet. And the Bible says about the, in the tenth commandment, it includes this. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It was illicit desire. And that from the illicit desire, he had Bathsheba to come. And then he committed adultery with her and had her husband killed. That was sin. That's big time stuff, isn't it? By the way, let me let you know, David deserved to die. In the Old Testament adultery, you were stoned for that. Now, David, you need to understand, could not have been justified by the works of the law. For he broke the law, didn't he? It says in verse 7, lawless deeds. He was a lawbreaker. To be justified by the law of God is impossible. Because according to Galatians 3.10, we must keep it perfectly. You can't ever make a mistake. You can't ever sin. You've got to live perfectly in order to be justified or declared righteous by God by keeping the law. No one can do it. In fact, you say, well, I've only broken one. I, I didn't do that stuff. I didn't do what David did. Well, according to James 2, 1, if you break in one point, you've broken them all. The law is a unit. You cannot just pick out one and say, I've been good on that one. Oh, I honor my mother and my father. Uh-huh. So you, you've broken them all. And David broke God's law. And I'm going to tell you what happens when the law of God is broken. It requires either condemnation by God or forgiveness from him. David, he received forgiveness. That's why he says, have been forgiven. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven by God. Have been forgiven. Those three words, the word forgiven in particular, uh, conveys the idea of to send away. To dismiss. The concept is of separation. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, the A portion, it states that sin separates sinners from God. In forgiveness, God separates the sinner from his sin. Whereas sin separates us from God, God in forgiveness, he, he joins the sinner to God and he separates us from our sin. That's good. This separation, this sending away of sin, this dismissal of our sin is pictured in Leviticus chapter 16. There in Leviticus 16 is, the, is Yom Kippur. It is the day of atonement. It's the annual day when the sins of the nation of Israel were forgiven. And this was done in a procedure, a ceremony. There were two male goats. One goat received a lot, and that was chosen. The other goat received another lot, lot cast, God chose. And it was, one was a sin offering, the other was the scapegoat. 
The scapegoat pictures sin's removal. It pictures the separation of sin from the sinner. This is how it worked. The high priest, he would go to the scapegoat and place his hands on the head of the scapegoat. He confessed the sins of the nation on the head of the scapegoat. Symbolically what that was was a transference of the nation's sin to the scapegoat. God was picturing how a substitute would take the sin that the people had committed and be transferred onto a substitute. It was then sent into the wilderness, symbolizing that the substitute bore and removed the sin. Somebody might say, well, how far was it uh, removed from us? That's a good question. Psalm 103 verse 12 tells us, it says this, As far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. East from west? That's an immeasurable distance. That's how far God removes our sin. The scapegoat was a foreshadowing of the one who would actually remove sin. The one who would come and actually pay the price and remove it. John the Baptist, he saw him coming, Jesus. He saw him coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1, 29. Peter. Later writing in his first epistle in chapter 2 verse 24 said this, And he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Old Testament scapegoat, that was a picture of Jesus who would come in history's fulfillment, God's plan under the law. He would come at the right time and he would bear our sin away. The divine artist is not finished. His painting is not completed unless we get the other goat, the sin offering. And that's addressed in the next line in Romans chapter 4, verse 7. And whose sins have been covered. Now let me just hasten to insert here. Some people like to cover up their sin. They want to deny it. They want to justify it. That's not good. Let me tell you something. He who covers his sin, Proverbs 28, will not prosper. But God, what he does, he covers our sin. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't hide it. Not only are our sins separated us from us by forgiveness, but our sin is also covered by this act of the male goat that is the sin offering. What happened? It was killed. An innocent victim, this goat uh, representing, of course, the coming Savior, he was killed and his blood was taken and it was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat is the lid on that box called the Ark of the Covenant underneath that lid if you open the lid you see there the law of God the law of Moses the Ten Commandments is there 
And the mercy seat covered it. And the mercy seat this, uh, was on either side of it was uh, two cherubim. Uh, they were carved there and they covered the mercy seat. And above it was the symbolic dwelling of God. So when the sin offering was slaughtered and they took the bread, uh, the blood, the high priest did, and he went in and he sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat. And so what would happen, God would look down and instead of seeing the broken law, because everybody in Israel had broken the law, God would see the blood. He would see the blood that was shed by a substitute to address the reality of the broken law. Oh boy, that's good. It's good news. So that's what happened with us. That pictured what God did for us. Forgiveness rather than punishment. When God saw the blood of a substitute that had been killed in place of the guilty, judgment was turned aside. Forgiveness rather than punishment. Again, as I've indicated, it's a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus. Blood had to be shed. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Shedding blood means death. Christ had to die. He was our substitute. David's lawless deeds were covered by the blood. The future coming of Christ, pictured in the ceremonies in Israel, was the way God would deal with our sin. No wonder David said in verse 7, blessed. <laughs> that word blessed, makarios, same word Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he lists the blessednesses there in that passage, chapter 5. Blessed means happy. It means fortune. It means bliss. Let me tell you something. There is no greater happiness on this planet than to know that your sins have been forgiven by God. I'm going to tell you, people are looking for happiness in the wrong place. You want your guilt gone? It's in Jesus. You want to really have bliss? You really want to feel fortunate and be fortunate? It's in Christ Jesus the Lord. That's where real happiness is. It's not in winning a lottery. It is not in having this and that. It is knowing that you're right with God. And then you can sure enough be happy. Because you know things are right between you and your creator. You, the holy God of Israel, the holy God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, sees you as righteous. Therefore, you can be happy. You have a real reason to be happy. We need to learn how to where real happiness comes from. Forgiveness granted. Forgiveness granted. Hmm. The next point I want to make is sin not imputed. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. This man, any justified person, is happy because he is regarded and treated as righteous. That's what I just said. The Lord will not take his sin into account. He will never do so. Now, you've heard this. People advise us, never say never. 
For humans, it's usually good advice. But it's wholly inappropriate when we're talking about God. When we speak of him, we can say, never. It will never happen. Because if he's promised it, it will never happen. Now, I want you to understand something. God makes this clear to us in the language that he uses. Uh, It says here in our text, will not. Will not. Will not. Why am I repeating? Because I really want you to get this. The Greek grammar behind the words will not is this. Here's the deal. There is no potential. No potential for God to ever take our sins into account. That's what the Greek is saying. Every time I see that in the Greek New Testament, I just have to sit back and take it in. Because there's what they call a subjunctive, the mood of potential paired up with a ooh, may, uh, those two Greek words, negatives. And when you get those two together, it eliminates any potential of change. God will not take it into account. He will never do it. You don't have to worry about what you might do. And God says, well, uh, you know, you see, David committed a big time sin, didn't he? Big time sins. Now, let me hasten that. It does not mean that you won't experience the chastening of God. The consequences of your sin and temporally, but it does mean that you will never experience the consequences of your sins eternally. That's a settled issue. Therefore, there now is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Condemnation, the word in the Greek means no judgment now or ever. This this verse could be translated blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him so with the Lord never means never once he has forgiven us for our sins he won't bring it up God makes this really clear in the word of God he he states it in metaphorical pictures of forgiveness for example God said about forgiveness, he cast their sins behind his back. That's Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen. Another promise never to remember them. He's hidden them from his sight behind a thick cloud. He's cast them into the depth of the sea. All of that communicates, boy, when God is done with your sin, when he has forgiven you, he is done with it. Jesus has paid it for us. Paid the full penalty of the believer's sin and therefore God no longer holds it against us. This is a believer's experience as blessedness of forgiveness and we experience this blessedness of forgiveness solely by faith. Romans chapter 3 verse 22 even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe for there is no distinction 
24 of Romans 3 being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus notice it's a gift and it's by grace (laughs) you can't earn it you can't work for it justified as a gift and it is through grace a favor through the redemption that is accomplished was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross by his death verse 28 of Romans 3 for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law I know what you're saying oh you mean God just said you don't go off scot-free and sin is not addressed you don't pay for it and God just say y'all go ahead that ain't just even we human beings believe in justice we we believe you mess up you do something you got to pay you do the crime you do the time we have that don't we you say can God just do that well you're right to raise the question because God is a God of justice sin must be addressed it must be punished either in the sinner or in the sinner's substitute that's the good news right keep your finger here go with me 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19 Paul is talking about our ministry of reconciliation he talks about our message he talks about reconciliation when we as believers we were changed from enemies to God's friends 2 Corinthians 5 and I want you to see verse 19 what God was doing did, did, he, did he deal with our sin? yes namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not, here it is not counting their trespasses against them What God was doing in Christ when Christ was on the cross, he was not counting to our account our sins. He wasn't placing them to our account. He did not, here's the word, impute them to those who would repent and believe. Let's put it like this. Before you were born, way back then on Calvary, Jesus Christ God was not counting your sins that you hadn't committed because you hadn't been born but he, God knew you would be born and that you would believe on him he was taking your sins that you would commit in the future and put them on Christ not counting your trespasses for all those who would believe he didn't, he didn't impute them to us Now, where'd they go? They weren't imputed to us. I've alluded to it. Where'd they go? Verse 21, he made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He made him who knew no sin. That is, he was sinless. He was impeccable. He did not sin. He was perfect, righteous, righteous in nature, absolutely pure, God in human flesh. But it says to be sin. Those three words, to be sin, need explication. Here they are. Not made a sinner. No, that's not what that means. 
but God charged him put to his account our sin as if he had personally committed them that's what God was doing when he made Jesus to be sin he said I'm going to treat you as if you committed the sins for all, all of those who would believe in you One commentator puts it like this. He was personally pure, yet officially culpable. Personally holy, yet forensically or legally guilty. End of quote. And then his righteousness was imputed to us when we believed. So I said, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Meaning his righteousness was credited to us. Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, a holy life only person who ever walked the face of the earth who kept God's law perfectly in thought, word, and deed, absolutely pure, unblemished Lamb of God, his righteousness, his active obedience was then applied to us at the moment we believed. So we got his righteousness. Now he treats us as if we live Jesus' life. <laughs> That's good news, isn't it? You cannot send your way out of salvation. That's good. You belong to him forever. But let me add a caveat. Because Paul addresses in Romans 6. If you are a true Christian, you're not wanting to just sin and sin. Hey, I'm justified. Let me go sin up a storm. No, true Christians don't do that. Because you've been born again. And you love the Lord. And you want to honor Him. You want to obey Him. And if you're obeying Him, that's an indication that you are indeed His. Let me conclude here with these words. About two places that are polar opposites heaven and hell heaven will be eternally populated with forgiven people everybody you meet when you get to heaven is a forgiven person every person except the Lord Jesus Christ all the rest of the human beings who will be there will all be talking I was forgiven I was forgiven. I was forgiven. And we'll point to the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. We'll see his nail-pierced hands. And we'll understand it was by his sacrifice that we're forgiven and that we're in that place called heaven, forgiven people for all eternity. That's the reality of the population of heaven. There's another place it's hell. It will be eternally populated with unforgiven people. They refuse to believe on Christ, turn from their sin, receive his justification and his free forgiveness. They died, and they're now in hell, unforgiven. Every person in hell is unforgiven by God. I don't know your condition this morning 
But either you're forgiven or unforgiven. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you're unforgiven. But if you know him, you are forgiven. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for these truths that gratify our hearts and satisfy our souls and give us reason to praise you for what you've accomplished on our behalf. Undeserving sinners, we deserved your wrath, but you gave us grace. You gave us mercy. We bless your name for that. We pray for those in this place who have not experienced the saving mercy of Christ. We pray you open their eyes to his glory and what he's done, and they'll come to him for salvation. Lord, help us who are believers to thank you day in and day out for what you've done for us. We pray these things now in the name of Christ. Amen.